0: From the high-flying studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another milky episode of Chemical-Free Horticultural Hijinks, You Bet Your Garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Do you grow milkweed to help support the declining population of amazing monarch butterflies? On today's show, we'll explain why the unfairly maligned milkweed bug May be part of the solution and not part of the problem. And of course, we'll take lots of your inevitable phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and rigorously redundant rock abilities. So keep your ears and or eyes right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you having a mess of monarchs because of those bugs right after this.
1: Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com.
0: Welcome to a brand new episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. And I am delighted to report that I finally found the notes I took from my visit to a great monarch watch garden, meaning the gardener there tags butterflies uh, to see which ones make it down to Mexico from the East Coast. So we're going to talk about the so-called milkweed bug and explain why it is actually a part of the process that keeps those monarchs flying. You won't want to miss it, and you won't, because it's coming up after a bunch of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Marion, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello, how are you? I am just ducky, (laughs) Marion. Thank you for asking. Um uh, Ducky always likes to get some airtime here. Um I should have asked you first. But anyway, where are you, Marion?
2: I'm in Philadelphia.
0: Uh oh. My childhood home, so now we gotta go diving into neighborhoods. What part? South Philly. Okay, so you're in South Philly, which means we have to go even deeper. Where in mm-hmm. where in South Philly?
2: South Philly toward the stadium.
0: Oh, okay. I always wondered, you know, what it was like, uh, what it's like in that cluster of houses uh, that is just to the north of our sports stadiums. Because it almost doesn't seem like the rest of South Philly, if you know what I mean.
2: You're absolutely right, and I'm a little north of that. Right, um, I'm north of that, so that area is a little different. It's a little isolated. I'm right, a little south of Oregon, so I like it there because it's not as isolated.
0: Okay, good, good. Um, oh, and all I know about your neighborhood is the cops block it off whenever there's a big event like the World Series, so we don't go parking in your neighborhood. <laughs>
2: That's true, but I'm a little north of that. So I miss that. And as far as I am, they still park in front of my house for the Eagle game, So they have quite a walk.
0: Yeah. Uh are you know, and this is just uh now we're down to deep. How far are you from Jackson or Wolf?
2: Probably I would say maybe eight blocks north. A uh, South. Eight blocks south.
0: Oh, okay. No, you're in South Philly.
2: But I'm from Wolf Street. I'm from Fifteenth and Wolf. <laughs>
0: All right, uh, enough travelogue. Uh, What can we do for you?
2: Well, we're having an issue with a big tree. This big tree is kind of interesting. It was started about 75 years ago when someone gave my husband's grandmother a little shoot, Mm -hmm. and they grew a number of trees from this particular tree. Mm -hmm. And one of the trees that they've grown actually in South Jersey, right in Westville, right across the bridge, It it was a nice tree for a long time, and we're still getting some fix from it. But my husband keeps making shoots, and the last shoot he made, it grew a foot, gave it to my brother. who lives in Delaware, and he's very good at gardening. He does organic gardening. He had it beautiful about two feet, and all of a sudden it died. So we're trying to figure out how to keep this tree going.
0: Well, you do realize there is a sacred bond between fig trees and South Philly. No, yes, I know that. No fig tree in South Philly has ever perished. It is simply not allowed. Um, so when you want to propagate a fig tree, you take uh, fresh cuttings in the spring from the new growth, and they should take almost anywhere. Um But it's best to plant them in a nice sunny location, protected um, by walls or something for the winter, and literally just improve the soil a little bit, loosen it up, uh, drop the cutting in, keep it watered um, until new growth appears on top of that new growth. And after that, if there's any death involved, it 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 shouldn't happen until winter um, if the tree is not protected.
2: What? So when you say my, my husband always started them in the starter plant. Are you saying start it right outside? No. So yeah.
1: These,
2: oh, so maybe you should have just started it outside in the first place. Not yeah. Keep it.
0: Oh okay. no, no! If he's if he's taking cuttings and potting them up inside. To, Help them grow a little larger. Uh, they're possibly suffering shock when they actually go into the ground. Mm,
2: okay, so he needs to start it outside.
0: Yeah, just and maybe
2: then.
0: take the cutting, keep it fresh, get it to where you want to grow it. Uh, put it in the ground. You know, uh, put some compost in the planting hole. Make sure you keep it watered until uh, new growth appears, and everything should be fine. And then you'll talk about winter protection uh, to the person who's growing it. But, um, you know, in South Philly, no fig tree dies. It doesn't matter what you do.
2: So we shouldn't be bringing it in for the winter because you're going to shock it. we should be wrapping it in the winter if we get it growing.
0: Yes. Um, you are in a real heat sink. A lot of South Philadelphians do not wrap their figs, um, because the temperature there, the crowding, the houses, uh, the essence of cheese steaks permeating the air, um, they do well in, in the city. With a minimum of covering, Uh, how how big a tree are you talking about? Well,
2: we're starting small. I mean, I'm talking about we haven't grown it yet because we have so many issues.
0: Oh, okay. Where's the mother tree? The mother tree's in South Jersey. Oh, okay. Uh, And
2: you know, your that lasted a long time, and that one wasn't even covered.
0: Right. Well, you know, South Jersey is moderate. Are you talking about down the shore? No,
2: right over the bridge, Westville, right, right over the
0: bridge. Okay. So, um, you know, go back to that sacred tree in the spring, cut off like five nice new shoots that are showing new leaves,
1: Mm -hmm. uh,
0: find a good protected location, uh, Dig a hole, put some compost in the ground, drop the cutting down in, um, cover it up with some compost again, uh, Mm -hmm. keep it well watered, and a new growth should appear. And do this in a couple of different locations, and, um, you know, you may wind up with five fig trees, or you may wind up with one that is obviously healthier than the others. And then yes, if you go to our website, go to org. Mm-hmm. there are many questions of the week on different ways to wrap fig trees. And I would urge okay. I would urge you to do that while it's young, but when it's fully grown, it may not be necessary. Okay.
2: All right. Well we've been doing
0: it wrong then all along. That's why I'm here. <laughs> all right. You take care now. Well, that's so
1: helpful. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Chase here. Bye bye. Two little box, little box little little
3: Little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little 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 bug, little bug,
1: little bug, little little bug, little 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 little
0: little little Pam, welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
4: Thank you, Mike. Thank you so much for taking my call. This is Pam calling from Fort Washington, Pennsylvania. Okay. And I have a couple of questions for you. I just wanted to thank you so much for all of your valuable advice I've been getting over the years. Uh, Lots of good gardening advice. And I'm here to actually ask you a question in person, so I appreciate it.
0: Okay. Good. Yeah, this beats working at a car wash. I can assure you. You know.
4: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> All right. Absolutely. Question number one, Pam.
4: Okay. Well, uh, my son purchased an a older home in uh, Horsham, Pennsylvania, and they had a number of mature trees. Mm-hmm. Most of them are pretty healthy, but they're. Um, my husband had wanted to have a tree person come look at it to see if there could be some fertilizer put on there oh, that God. if they needed it to try to keep them healthy.
0: Who fertilized um, so, the trees in the mountains? Who fertilized I the know, hardwood forest? You're just asking for trouble. I totally agree with you, but I wanted
4: to like just confirm that um you know as far as trimming the trees, we have I'll let you know what trees there are.
0: No, don't tell um, me what. don't tell me what trees you have. Tell me okay. what what is wrong that they need to be pruned
4: uh some of them the holly is overgrown
1: mm-hmm. uh,
4: it it, it yeah, you know, the previous owners I think kept them pretty well. I don't know that they trimmed them, but um they did not over mulch though, which I was very happy to see
0: okay um.
4: Because I know that we're very anti putting that mulch and making it look like a lollipop. So, Good. Um, so he, the the person that came that my husband met with, said to put a little bit of mulch on there, not too, not close to the bark. And I did mention um, that I had pine bark, pine straw uh, mulch. So I know that you've been, become a, a fan of that. Oh, what I was, was always a fan.
0: It just wasn't available in the Northeast until recently.
4: Right, right. But what are your thoughts on trimming the trees, Um, and what what should be the timing on that, if at all?
0: Well, um, trees with dead or damaged limbs uh, should should have that problem taken care of anywhere from the middle of winter to relatively early in the spring. Um, Okay. But, if the tree is healthy um it it doesn't need work. How big is the holly?
4: It's about fifty to sixty feet tall. it's big yeah I think that I'm estimating
0: oh yeah, but I mean, you got a Christmas tree you've got a holly berry covered Christmas tree out there
4: true yes
0: is 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 you know, it's quote overgrown, which in my world is a synonym for healthy. Leave it alone. Uh, what? What do you think? Would be? Is there a problem with it? Is it like trying to take your parking space when you get home? What?
4: <laughs> no, it's pretty well set away from the house. And it's not really in the way. I think when we first saw the the property and the tree, the holly bush, it was less thick but um, not necessarily bad, you know, it was just, it looked a little bit better just because it wasn't as thick, but, and dense. So, um, it's not, it's not unhealthy, I don't think, at all.
0: You know, if you call an exterminator, they're going to look for something to exterminate. If you call a tree care guy, they're going to try to find something to do with the trees on your property. Now, a certified arborist is incredibly useful if you have ash trees that need to be protected from the emerald ash borer or if you have dead or damaged limbs. A 50-foot tall holly, I, I would leave it alone. Again, when you, okay. when, you, when you call these people who are business people, they're going to find something to sell you. So it sounds like uh, you want to keep your husband away from all of your plants (laughs) and no mulch. When did you ever go into the woods and see a mulched tree?
4: Not never.
0: Never. Right. So if you want to do like a kind of a good looking mulch, uh, yes. A thin layer of pine straw, uh, a, a good foot away from the trunk, you know, well, Maybe help a little bit in a dry year, but it has to go all the way out to the um, to the edge of the root system, which in a tree that size is going to be three times the size of the canopy. So I would say um, buy your husband some woodworking equipment, something to keep his busy hands even busier and tell him that I said the trees are fine. Don't go looking for trouble. Trouble knows where to find you.
4: That's right. And the holly is probably the the, the least. We wouldn't really put mulch around that. It would because it's so dense at the bottom. Mm-hmm. It would be more of the magnolias and the pine trees that we have. That
0: well, the pine um, trees are made. dropping their own pine straw mulch.
4: I know that's true. That's true. Yes. So. Okay. So I guess just leave it leave it be. Absolutely. And,
0: um, no fertilizer, no wood mulch. Okay. Okay.
4: All right. All right. Thank you.
0: My pleasure. You take care now. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and repeat my warning from the last couple of years that gardening has surged beyond belief, and you need to order plants and seeds now or risk getting shut out. But don't go seeking your specific sunflowers just yet because we'll be right back with a treatise on milkweed so-called pests and more of your pestiferous phone calls. I'm post-holiday Mike McGrath and you're listening to a brand new episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Welcome back to another all new and thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am still, still your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up in a little bit, gardeners who grow pollinator gardens that include milkweed are often frightened when the milkweed bug shows up about two thirds through the season. They figure it might hurt the chances of the milkweed caterpillars having enough to eat. Well, guess what, cats and kittens? It is just the opposite. And we will explain why after more of your fabulous phone calls to 888-492-9444. Elizabeth, welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
3: Oh, thank you so very much.
0: Well, thank you, Elizabeth. How are you?
3: Well, actually, it's a beautiful day up here in north-central Pennsylvania.
0: Okay, north-central. So not like State College, PA?
3: We're a little bit um, northeast in Mill Hall, Pennsylvania, Clinton County.
0: Clinton County. did uh, Is that named after Bill Clinton? Oh, well, who knows?
3: No, no, way before his time.
0: Um, okay, so uh, what can we do for Elizabeth in Clinton County?
3: Well, I have Googled and Googled, and I've been growing Mexican sunflowers, the annual, <clears throat> for years, and right. I've had great success.
0: Mm-hmm. Different
3: soil types. i put them in different times of the year. I grow them from seeds. Good. Um, it's all organic, and every year, whether I have lots of rain, no rain, the bottom branches, the stems on the sides, they just keep to... Break off. It's like it's really brittle, and I don't know if there's anything I can do to make these branches stronger next year. I I don't know. Is there something is I'm missing there, or any hints?
0: Is there any discoloration of the branches?
3: Well, that's the odd thing. The plants have seemed very vigorous. Okay.
0: Um, well, I got lots of questions to ask you. Um, oh dear. Is there any thinning at the soil line? of the, the stem.
3: What does that mean? I'm so sorry.
0: Does it get skinny where it goes into the soil?
3: Um, a little bit. Yes. Come to think of it. Yes.
0: So Uh this sounds like a variation on damping off disease, which like so many horticultural terms is it got too damp and the flowers went off. So, uh, what are you growing your Tithonia in?
3: Well, they're, they're homemade raised beds. Um, Aged, aged horse manure, uh, a a sandy loom soil, um, uh, a little bit of wood chips with some lime. um, Why? Everything
0: else? Why? I'm sorry. Why do you? No, wood chips um, are non-strengthening your plants. They're, quote, weakening them, which is the word I should have come up with first. Um, but wood chips have no place in a vegetable garden. The only place they are acceptable is to keep weeds down in the lanes between the raised beds. Now, what are you doing for drainage in these raised beds?
3: Well, fortunately, where I live, the soil seems to drain really well. In fact, I' almost you know, I rarely have problems with it staying really moist.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm going to call it, Uh, excessive nitrogen loss due to the wood chips. Um, And uh, aged, oh, you said horse manure. Well, horse manure is great for growing sweet corn. It's great for applying to a lawn, of course, after it's well composted. But horse manure is mostly nitrogen. It's a very high nitrogen manure. And that is not what flowering Plants want flowering plants. Essentially, want a bed that is half good quality compost and half good quality topsoil. Um, And if the beds don't drain perfectly, um, like half a big bag of perlite mixed in, depending on how big the beds are. How big are your beds?
3: Oh my goodness! Do you have a single Um, or double? Thirty by fifteen feet.
0: They're not raised beds. Raised beds are defined by you being able to tend to the plants without walking on the soil.
3: Oh, okay. Well, all right. I built mounds. All right. Wrong term.
0: Mounds? Wrong term.
3: Large mounds. Mounds on top of the native soil.
0: Like the candy bar? <laughs> I'm sorry. What's up with the mounds?
3: Well, they, they resemble raised mounds, I guess. That would be the best way to explain it.
0: So there's no, because- there's no framing involved.
3: No, no, it's because we live in an old floodplain area, and you're right about that drainage. Um, I had to raise everything up a little bit Mm -hmm. off the main topsoil because when we get severe high rainfall, Mm -hmm. I can get some sitting water
0: back there. Oh, yeah. Nothing will grow there except water chestnuts or maybe rice. So, um, well, the good news is there are a number of things you can do to improve this situation. I can't think of any that could make a voice. Um, do you ever grow in containers?
3: Well, no, i I don't because I, i'm I'm just I hate to say I'm just not a container person because I forget to water and i and I feel so bad when I see it start to wilt. I just
0: but just see that's me. okay. If a plant wilts because it hasn't been watered, it can be revived by watering. But if a plant, dies from sitting in soggy soil, it's dead, Jim, and it's staying dead. So what I would, and I have never grown Tithonia in the ground. I've always grown uh, these Mexican sunflowers in containers because because when we get into the migratory season of the adult monarchs, I want my plants to be up on a bench or someplace, or even in a hanging basket, Um, where they're nice and high so the monarchs can see them, come feed, and then continue their journey down to Mexico. So, you know, I don't know how your other plantings are doing, but it sounds— and and do you have any other spot, or does everything get flooded during the bad times?
3: No, no, it's just that that side of the property— seems to there might be there, there might be an uh, underground spring it it mm-hmm. seems to be damp back there oh and i get full sun i do get full sun
0: okay that's good
3: uh, but um i just i don't want anything to drown and so far the sunflowers uh, mexican sunflowers mm-hmm. are also adjacent to elderberry and the elderberry are taking off like crazy so it's just uh all right i so how do i if i okay, have okay first nitrogen, before before
0: oh. before we move on I want to mention, this being cold and flu season, that elderberries are the strongest antiviral in the plant world. Oh, they, oh, they're, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the products for sale, like Samucol. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's just concentrated elderberry um, with the most of the active ingredient, isolated a little bit. But as my great friend, the late Dr. Duke, says you should always eat the real plant. There's no substitute. So if you eat a bunch of elderberries or you make some jam or juice or something like that and save it for the end of the season, because they do bloom early, um, it is better than any antiviral you can get from big pharma.
3: That means I'm going to have to fight off a lot of
0: birds. I can do this. Ah, uh, netting, um, you know, <laughs> hire a security right. guard. Anyway, um, I, I, honestly, I think you should move the garden to a drier spot. Okay. No more horse manure. No more well, wood chips. God, what were you oh, thinking? All of the world's waste, wherever it's created, the answer is always, right. hey, I bet we can make gardeners take it for free.
3: We usually
0: do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I would back off on this um, I can't even imagine what this area looks like. But I would I would go and build true raised beds um on a drier part of your land. You know, frame them with anything you got. Uh bricks, cinder blocks, um even non-treated pine will last for years. But of course you can go crazy and uh, get knotty redwood or knotty cedar, and then fill those half and half um, with good quality compost and good quality topsoil. And if you go back into our questions of the week, there are several that explain how to determine um, what right. good quality right. means. And, yeah. um, and I would urge you uh, to grow a couple of plants in containers. Tithonia takes to containers brilliantly. Um, but okay. e- either way, you're going to do much better.
3: Okay. Well, I deeply appreciate
0: that. But um, think about what your garden wants, not what people are giving you for free. Okay. Number to call, 888-492-9444. Tommy, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello. Hello, Tom. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm just ducky, thanks for asking. Um, And where is Tommy Good? Uh, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, okay. We love our Nashville and Memphis listeners. It's so great to be on the air in those two fabulous music cities. What can we do you for?
5: Yeah, I have a bad problem because I got a bad a couple years ago. But from last year or year before, I noticed some bamboo was uh, dying. At the beginning, I saw just uh, like leaves is drying from the top, but after a long time, uh, all the bamboo was died. The good thing is like uh, after the it started drying in the fall season, but the next spring, the new bamboo come out from
0: the ground. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe something, maybe that's okay. But do you know if you have running bamboo, also known as arrow bamboo, or do you have one of the clumping varieties? Uh, I don't know exactly this kind of
5: species, but it's it's running. From the ground and they go through from the one location to the another location. Okay, good. Out. You have
0: you have running bamboo. Now have you done anything yeah. to contain it? No, I, I didn't do anything. Okay, but you must. You are legally liable uh to have a contractor, landscape contractor come out and surround your patch with what's called rhizome barrier or else it will spread. All over the place, including to your neighbors, into your garden, into a shed, maybe even underneath your house. Okay, I, I I'll enjoy that. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm stunned. I've never heard bamboo dying before. Now, um, so it comes up green, and then it turns brown. Yeah. What, is there anything unique about the area? Is it saturated with water?
5: Uh, it's 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 not it's it's close to the drain and like the area, but usually it's it's not like a, a saturated.
0: Hmm. Boy, I tell you, the only thing that kills bamboo is wet feet. Uh, but bamboo does go through life cycles, where at one point in time, depending on the age of the plants that you were sold, um. All of the bamboo will die, but it will go to seed, and that will make the next generation. Uh, But what you're describing is pretty typical. Uh, My bamboo, my climate isn't that different than yours. My bamboo is green 365. I mean, it's green every day of the year. And every spring, new culms. C-U-L-M-S, that's the name of the Uh, of the structure uh, come up out of the soil. Now we've got ours under control and restrained, um, but I've never seen bamboo die off. I know a lot of people who would uh, pay good money to have their bamboo die off because it's a problem. Um, Was it under, you know, uh, we can't assume anything about the weather. 10 years ago, I could have told you what your weather was like, but um, boy, I'm not even guessing anymore. So did you have a a lot of snow and ice, for instance, over the winter? No, no, no.
5: They they just have very little... uh, Like this, uh, the past spring, they have snow ice, just like a few days. But
1: Mm
0: -hmm. it's gone very fast. Yeah, and my bamboo loves growing in the snow, and it's so beautiful. Uh, what kind of soil is it in?
5: Um it just does, uh, you know, it's kinda of normal. I I I didn't put any other additional stuff.
0: Right, no fertilizer, Except no the, nothing like that. No, How about no. is it growing near or in a lawn that gets treated for weeds? I didn't
5: use any kind of the fertilizer stuff. But maybe my neighbor they use some um, this kind of Weed killer or something, but yep. I didn't ask them because I noticed that their their lawn is growing better than us.
0: Well, I think we've got um, we've got the problem. The first thing I would suggest you mm-hmm. do, which it is not that expensive or difficult, is to divert that water so it doesn't go into the bamboo patch. Um, there are many ways to do that. Talk to your local landscapers. They may be able to build a berm to divert the water. They may put in a kind of an underground drain so that the water goes into that. And then if there's any streams or anything nearby. um, And if that doesn't work, although I would ask your neighbor right away um, what they're using. And then you could ask uh, the Nashville Extension Station if this herbicide is injurious to bamboo. But I think it's one or the other. It's either having constantly wet feet, which is one of the only things I know that can kill bamboo, or they're using one of these persistent herbicides. But it's one or the other.
5: Okay. All right, sir? I I will ask you. Yeah.
0: yeah. All right. Well, good luck to you, and say hi to all our friends in Nashville.
5: Okay. Thank you so very much for
0: your help. Oh, thank you for calling. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and urge all of yous who are still hanging on to your cut Christmas trees to utilize those wonderful branches when you finally take the tree down. Just prune them off at the trunk and lay those big boughs over existing plants, like garlic or winter pansies. Their springiness makes for a perfect, non-crushing winter mulch. But don't go picking up your pruners just yet. Because we'll be right back with misinformation about monarchs and more of your misinformed phone calls. I'm Monarch Lovin' Mike McGrath, and you're listening to a brand new episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media and where else? Bethlehem, PA.
1: Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com.
0: Welcome back to an all-new and still thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the thrilling studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we will explain why the milkweed bug is not a pest, despite it showing up in such huge numbers about halfway through the summer. You won't want to miss it, and you won't. Just keep dialing 888-492-9444. 888. 9492-9444. Four nine two ninety four forty four. 9444 Jeffrey, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, how are you doing, Mike? I'm just ducky, Jeffrey.
6: How are you and where are you? I'm good. I'm in Durham Township, Pennsylvania. Okay. What can we do for you? I've got a, a two-part question, uh, both related to fall leaves. So you know, I've listened to your show for a while and every fall I collect as many leaves as I can from my property. And I I bought a, a little electric shredder and I, you know, shred them down and I use them as mulch going into the fall. And it does great for the, uh, the soil and the the weed control. Yeah. But, uh, as my garden grows seemingly larger every year, I'm slowly running out of enough leaves to cover all the beds. And so like any crazy person, I ask my neighbors and in-laws if I can steal their leaves. But, uh, You know, as I drive through town and and areas, I notice uh, a lot of people putting out these brown bags with what I assume is is mostly leaves and yard waste. And Uh I'm tempted to go and collect them all up and and shred them, but I have some concerns about not knowing if those leaves come from properties that have used, you know, herbicides and pesticides. So I'm curious to get your thought
0: on if that's a good idea or not. Okay, leaf rustling is an excellent way to practice. social involvement Um, I used to call them stupid people bags but I can't do that anymore because I'm not supposed to call anybody names Uh, so we'll just call them SPBs people who don't know the inherent value of fall leaves put them out at the curbside Uh, curbside curbside it's still a site what is wrong with taking this treasure and keeping it out of the trash. It's like an unattended pen in an office building. If nobody's around, it's yours. So uh, I've heard concerns about, uh, your concerns about uh, herbicides. Over the years, people are afraid of other people's leaves. So here's the straight skinny. Leaves, uh, I, I can't imagine why somebody would spray leaves. You know, the herbicides are in soil, probably in some of the produce that's grown alongside, but leaves, uh, trees are mostly left unmolested and they drop their leaves and the people rake them up and put them into SPBs and they're now yours. Um, I used to rustle leaves like mad when I was a beginning gardener. I'd be driving through the city of Emmaus with my two kids who were endlessly being shuffled to play dates and hockey and basketball and scouts. And in the fall, they had developed the ability to shrink themselves like Ant-Man down to a minuscule size so nobody would see them when I stopped the car, which was a Subaru hatchback, and started tossing leaves in. And, Daddy, come on, everybody already thinks you're weird. And I went, "Well, then there's no problem, is there? It just shows that they're right. So I c- encourage leaf rustling. You are saving nature's greatest bounty from a landfill.
6: Now, right. Okay, that's good. Yeah.
0: One exception: if you pick okay. up if you pick up a bag and you find that it's mixed grass clippings and leaves, you should just toss that in the woods, um, not the bag itself because uh grass clippings are a tremendous source of pollution people put all these unnecessary chemicals on their lawn and they persist in the grass clippings Um, there have been many cases where uh, treated grass clippings especially with certain high-powered herbicides um, have destroyed entire gardens and i remember one university had a plant sale every year where they grew their starts in compost and one year, man, it tested negative at parts per million. But they upped the ante and tested it at parts per billion. And then they found the herbicide. That's how powerful some of these things can be. So you never want to accept anybody else's grass clippings. And they're idiots. They should leave them on the lawn. It's 10% <laughs> nitrogen. It's plant food. So it's safe to say if you collect a bag with leaves and uh grass clippings,
6: don't even toss them on your compost pile.
0: Oh, God, no, no, no. That's how these, these persistent herbicides get into the cycle. No, just put them in, uh, scatter them out in the woods or something like that. Well, thank you very much. Our pleasure. You take care now. Once again, the time has come for the question of the week, which we're calling, are milkweed bugs a menace to monarchs? The question, Chase in Delaware City writes, I have a pollinator garden in my backyard that includes milkweed plants. Every year, natural predators keep the aphids under control. But around the same time our town fogs for mosquitoes, the aphid population seems to explode, and milkweed bugs also become prevalent at this time. Mike, that's me, often mentions the use of sharp streams of water, to remove pests from these plants. And I have found this method to work well. But I'm looking for other ways to deter pests when I'm not in the garden. One neighbor suggested spraying diluted dish soap. Another suggested dusting the plants with expired pantry flour. Is pantry flour a a real thing? I'm, I'm just not sure. Anyway, are these methods effective against milkweed pests? All right. Let's start the answer a little bit off topic. Not unusual for me at all, right? Quote, fogging for mosquitoes the old-fashioned chemical way can be devastating to the life in your garden by killing the beneficial insects that keep pests like aphids in line much better than chemicals. However, if your community is enlightened and sprays the mosquito-breeding preventor known as BTI, Bacillus thuringiensis israeliensis, mosquito numbers will be noticeably lower, and your pollinators and other beneficial insects will be unharmed. So get in touch with your local municipality now and see what their plans are for the coming summer. Ah, but if an old school chemical is going to be in those sprayers, have professionally made no spray zone signs at the ready using arrows and or distance measurements like no spray zone next 60 feet to indicate start and stop points. Be sure to inquire if precise legal language or a permit is required. But if BTI will be in those sprayers, thank those in charge for making an intelligent decision. Oh, and the wonderful organization Monarch Watch, which we will speak of at great length next week, provides milkweed seeds, information, and lots of other useful and fun stuff but they also sell metal signs that identify your property as a monarch way station for $17 apiece. Put a few of these up around your property, and the sprayers should bow their heads in shame. And I am happy to report that every state extension bulletin I checked advocated using sharp sprays of water against aphids, and milkweed bugs. Now, remember kids, we're not talking about gentle soakings here. Sharp sprays are sharp. Use an adjustable nozzle that has multiple settings and choose laser beam, or turn the single setting on one of those old school fireman hose nozzles until it delivers a stinging blast. I can't say this enough, Multiple research studies have found that sharp streams of water are more effective than pesticides in eliminating aphids. And it's emotionally satisfying to see the tiny sapsuckers go flying towards their final, uh, uh, shall we say, destination. Do this correctly which means cradle the plants with one hand while administering a wicked wad of water with the other. And around 85% of these petite pests will meet their immediate doom, and the others will be too depressed to go on. It's fun for the entire family. Put on bathing suits and spray the aphids in each other. Now, about those quotes, milkweed bugs that show up mid to late in the season. They are incredibly distinctive in their orange and black raiment, with the elongated adults having two black kind of triangles at the knee and the head and a black stripe across the middle of their back interposed with a charming shade of deep orange. The nymphs, these bugs seem to go through as many instars as Diana Ross does costume changes, are similar in color, but they're shaped more like a ladybug. Hey, come on, look it up, okay? They are true bugs in the world of entomology, and there are two versions, defined the same way we define a Philadelphia hoagie, small and large. The, quote, lesser milkweed bug is similar to the large milkweed bug, but it's smaller, duh, and it is less stylishly adorned. In any case, this reporter feels that they could have been blessed with a more helpful common name, like milkweed seed bug. Because, like the beloved conifer seed bug that likes to sleep inside your house in the winter, these are seed eaters that do not ravage other plant parts. That's why they only appear late in the season, because as Willie Loman famously said, that's where the seeds are. All seriousness aside, this addition of a descriptive middle name would help growers of milkweed not to freak out when the bugs appear in large numbers on their milkweed plants. They're only there for the seeds, and they have no effect on the actual plant or on monarch caterpillars that are either munching the milkweed or forming chrysalises or even adults. In fact, say the experts, they perform a valuable function— as some varieties of milkweed can easily become invasive. Milkweed bugs, eating most of those seeds helps normalize the situation and allows the plants to gently self-seed while preventing your stand of milkweed from becoming the new day of the triffids. Gee, trust nature to strike a balance? Where have I heard that before? Hmm. To sum up, Milkweed plants provide the only known food for baby monarchs, that's the caterpillars, and everyone should be planting milkweed. Milkweed seed bugs do not interfere with the process and may well prevent your garden from turning into a milkweed farm. Seeing lots of the colorful bugs does not indicate a problem. As with many such issues, all you need to do is let nature take her course. Next week, we look at the different types of milkweed to see which one is best for you just in time for seed and plant ordering season. Well, that sure was a revealing look at so-called butterfly pests now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the Question of the Week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over in detail with links to lots of helpful sites, in other words, they say I was right, just click the link for the Question of the Week at our website, which is still and will forever be, youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you will always, always, always find the latest Question of the Week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes! My producer is threatening to maim my milkweed if I don't get out of this studio. Ah! We must be out of time, but you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your emails. You're tired. You're poor. You're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore, at y b y g at w l v t. Dot o-r-g. And as always, please include your location. You'll find all of this contact information at our website, youbetyourgarden.org, where you'll also find the answers to all your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, and our priceless podcast. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by yours truly, Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he discovered an atomic-powered jet belt in an ancient Aztec temple, put it on, and acquired the powers of a jaguar, a skin-tight suit, and a cute little pencil mustache. Cute little Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airwaves is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is sick. But he is still and will forever be cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Northley. Check out her fine work and stay current with what's happening with the show. Every day, something new every day at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Teresa Radke, our profound princess of Peerless Production, is also out sick. Taking her place today is the uncanny Carlin Canfield. The lovely Jonas Bowen is our audio editor. Judicious Jake Boyer does the video. Our director of direction is the harried and harassed Javier Diaz, who still wants to take a couple more months off. Zach the Takwasneski is back in the house as is Jacob Morris and the rest of the usual gang of idiots, including yours truly. Our beloved CEO, Tim Fallon, is still practicing his imitation of Paul Ford, playing Captain John T. Hall on the equally beloved Phil Silver Show, with, of course, McGrath playing Sergeant Bilko. I'm your Mustard Out host, Mike McGrath, and I'm still cleaning up after Christmas, trying to organize my comic books, baseball cards, CDs, and a much too large collection of VHR tapes. Hey, at least they're not beta. And I can guarantee that I'll still be trying to do that when I see you again next week.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah.
6: This is 91.3 FM,
0: WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR.org. Well, the crew and I are back from our long winter's nap, and we can finally predict that next week's all-new show will be about the best milkweed plants for your pollinator garden. I'm Mike McGrath, so join us next week when we will educate you about milkweed and monarchs. That's on the next... You bet your garden.